Morning, everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches, Bluntstown, Chipley, and Marianas. We're kicking off a brand new year, and I'm excited about this year. And one of the things I'm excited about for you today is you're going to get to hear another great voice, because whenever you see that voices bumper, you also always know, hey, we have a guest speaker here that's going to really bring a different voice with a always a great message. And I'm really excited for you to hear um, the speaker we have today. Um, he's kind of one of my favorite people in this world in the sense that he he is married to my youngest daughter, and he is the father of what you at RCC know as, with fondness and favor, Big Willie. He's six months old, and he is a hefty little boy. I'm telling you, he's an amazing young man. I love uh, William Thomas. That's his real name, if you want to be formal with it, right, William Thomas. But um, Josiah has um, got an amazing voice when it comes to speaking God's word. Um, So I didn't think I was going to get emotional about this. Um, he's one of the young voices in our world that I believe God has anointed to bring the message to the next generation. And um, I pray for that often. And so I'm excited for you to hear Josiah. All of our campuses, give it up for Josiah, if you will. Come on, man. It's going to make me cry before I can even start the service. Well, good morning, y'all. Um, I may be from the north, but I married a southerner, so y'all has become a part of my vocabulary now. Uh, but Happy New Year. It's great to be here with you um, on the new year, the first Sunday of 2023. And there's just something about the new year that makes you feel like you can start over or that things are new, right? That's why many of us come into the new year and we have um, a new year's resolution, whether formal or informal. It might be, um, I wanna get fit for this next year. It might be, I'm gonna get my finances in order. It might be, I wanna read more. But it's just something, it's just a time where we can start something, we can stop something, we can improve on something. And every year, when I think of a resolution, I'm always reminded of this story that I heard. It's a story of um, a husband and a wife and they made a New Year's resolution that they were gonna get healthier in the new year. And they, they didn't wanna become a statistic because they, they say that statistically most New Year's resolutions fail by the time February hits. So they weren't gonna let, they weren't gonna be a statistic. They were gonna make this thing happen. They were gonna hold each other accountable. They were gonna get healthier for the new year. And so shortly after um, the new year, they went to the doctor, they had their annual physical, and after they had their physicals, the doctor said to the wife, he, he said, hey, can I speak to you privately for a moment? And he pulled her off into a, a side room and he said, your husband isn't doing well at all. And he said, in fact, stress is literally killing him. And he said, and I'm pulling you into this room privately for a couple of reasons. Number one, I don't wanna stress him out even more by telling him that, hey, you need to stop being stressed because it's killing you. But secondly, he said, you're gonna play a key part in helping reduce some of that stress in his life. And so he said, there's three things that your husband is gonna need if he's gonna recover. He said, number one, his diet needs to change. 
He can't be eating, you know, these fast food. He can't be eating freezer meals, nothing like that. He's gonna need two fresh home-cooked meals every day. His diet needs to change. Number two, he needs relief from physical stress, which means when he comes home from work, I know he has to fulfill his work responsibilities, but when he comes home from work, he can't be doing any chores, shouldn't be helping with the dishes, sweeping around the house. Some of the women are already starting to get upset. No yard work, he just needs to be able to relax. And, And if you could even maybe give his shoulders a massage and his neck just to kind of relieve the pressure from his body. And then thirdly, the home needs to be his sanctuary. It needs to be a stress-free home. That means that there can't be any bickering, no arguing, no sarcasm, no accusations. If he gets a little snippy with you, you just have to say, yes, dear, in response. And he said, and I'm sure that if you do these three things, within six to eight months, he'll make a full recovery. So the woman nodded, she left, and when she went out to the car, her and her husband, they went out to the car, and before they drove off, the husband looked at his wife and he said, honey, was the doctor talking about me? And she said, oh yes, he was, dear. And he said, was it about my health? And she said, unfortunately, it was. And he said, well, what did the doctor say? And she said, honey, you ain't gonna make it. (laughs) How many of the married women in the room would say that that would take a large amount of grace, right? You see, the woman in the story, she started off with a New Year's resolution, but what she ended up needing a lot of was grace for the new year. And that's ultimately what I wanna talk to you about today is grace for today. Grace for today. Now the story we heard, it's a bit funny and it's a bit silly, but life has a way, and and many of you probably know this, life has a way of hijacking our well thought out plans, our dreams, our ambitions. And when that happens, we can uh, be left feeling like things are out of control. Maybe it introduces anxiety into our life and stress and worry and fear, um, feelings of being overwhelmed. And so as we start this new year, while it's good to think ahead, while it's good to have resolutions and to plan and and to commit to those things, I wanna spend this new year reminding us of an incredible promise that no situation, no letdown, no trial can take away from us. In other words, life might be able to hijack our plans and our resolutions, but it can't hijack God's promises. Life cannot hijack God's promises. And so here's the promise that I wanna share with us this morning and really to help us to walk in for this next year. And here it is. It's God's grace is sufficient for me one day at a time. God's grace is sufficient for me one day at a time. It's very simple, but if you really wanna change the way that you approach the new year, the way that you walk in this new year, strive to walk in this promise, strive to walk in this truth on a daily basis. Now, we get this promise from something that the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12. For those of you who may not know, Paul wrote half of our New Testament scripture and most of what he wrote were letters to different churches. And so this, was, this came from a letter that he wrote to a church in Corinth, Corinth, which was a large city in Greece. And this is what he said in 2 Corinthians 12, eight through 10. 
He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Now, when he says about this, in the verse prior, he mentions something that he calls a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it is. It could have been a trial. It could have been a temptation. It could have been a situation. It was just this thing that he was asking God to take away from him. How many of us have been there in our life where we're just, we have this problem and we're praying, God, take this thing away from me. And that's where Paul is at. Continuing on, this was God's response to him. It says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul goes on to say, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Get this, for when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. So like I said, nobody knows for certain what this thing, this thorn in the flesh was for Paul, but what we do know is that God, rather than taking away the problem, instead of taking away the problem, he promised instead that his grace was gonna get him through the problem. Right? That's not always an answer that we like to hear. We just want the problem to be gone. But God is like, no, my grace is gonna be sufficient in your life to get you through the problem. God didn't give an answer. He gave a promise. And this promise that he gave, it wasn't just a promise for Paul. In the early church, it's a promise that we can live in every single day of our life. A promise that says, it doesn't matter what you're going through, doesn't matter the trials that you have in your life, the grace of God is gonna be enough. It's gonna be enough, as Paul said, in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in calamities, because when I am weak, I become strong because the power of Christ is perfected in my weakness. In other words, at my point of weakness, Christ comes in with his strength and he begins to move on my behalf. That's what it means that the grace of God is sufficient for us. In my weakness, his strength is manifested. So that's the incredible promise we have. Now here's the tension that we have. The tension or the challenge that we have is gonna be simply abiding in that grace. So it's gonna be a challenge because as humans, we have certain tendencies. And these tendencies cause us to live outside of the grace that God has provided us with. That's not to say that the grace of God's not there because the promise is it's always there. The, the problem is, is we're not always abiding and resting in that grace that God has provided. So what I wanna do this morning is I wanna highlight two tendencies, two tendencies that I've seen in my own life, that I've seen in many other people's lives, and both tendencies have to do with how we engage and think about the future, with how we engage and how we think about the future. Now, looking to and thinking about the future and making plans, that's all good things, but we can do it in a way that will rob us of the peace of God in our life, if we're not careful. There's, there's ways that we can do that. So here's what we know. God's grace is sufficient for you and me one day at a time. And now here's the tension that we're gonna face as we abide in that grace due to some of these tendencies that we can have. Tendency number one is this, is we can tend to filter tomorrow's trials through the lens of today's grace. We'll filter tomorrow's trials through the lens of today's grace. 
This is kind of like the, the what if. How many people are the, the what if people? What if this happens? What if that happens? That was one of my nicknames growing up is what if. It's the what if or the worry factor. And the thing is, is it's not hard to, in, to envision times or situations in our life that could happen to us, whether realistic or unrealistic, that would make our lives increasingly more difficult, right? Our, it's not that hard to imagine. Just take this past year, for example. We witnessed the war in Ukraine, and there were a couple different times where World War III was trending on Twitter. People were asking, is this gonna lead into the next world war? How would I respond? How would I be able to live if war came to this shore? It's, it's the worries of everyday life in general. For some, it might be as the economy continues to worsen. What if I can't provide for my family? What if I can't buy food? What if I can't make this month's rent um, this month? For some, it's what if a loved one dies? Maybe you have a loved one that's sick or struggling and, and you're asking, you know, what if they die? For some, it might be, what if my prodigal kid never returns home? They're going down this path that, that I'm praying against and praying for them to come home, and, but what if they never do? For some, it might be, what if the traumas and the emotional wounds that I've experienced in my life and that I've walked with and that have affected my relationships, what if I never find healing from them? And so, as you see, it, it's so, it can be so easy to live in the fear and the anxiety of what could be in the future, whether realistic or not. But here's the thing, and here's why that doesn't work. It's because you and I, we don't have a context for the grace that would be needed for tomorrow. We just don't have a context for that. And there was a time in my life, a personal story, where I saw this unfold in a very real way. When I was around uh, 10 or 11 years old, I, it was completely out of the ordinary, um, but I, came into this time in my life that lasted maybe three to six months. I don't, it's, it's a little bit blurry to me, but I came into this depression. And it was like all the joy of life just was sucked out of me. The things that I used to enjoy doing, I didn't enjoy doing anymore. And I didn't know it back then, but the depression that I was experiencing was rooted and started from a fear that I had in my life. And the fear that I had in my life was that my dad was gonna die. And the reason that I had this fear is there was a young family in our church, same age as us. We went to Sunday school with their kids and, and their father, who was late 30s, early 40s, fit, healthy, no signs of any kind of health problems, died of a massive heart attack. And I remember empathizing with the kids and thinking, man, how are they dealing with the death of a father? And what started off as empathizing with um, the family began to turn into me saying, what if my dad died? How would I be able to handle that? And that question became something that I would ask over and over and over again until it became this, this bondage of fear in my life, which led into this um, depression. And it would affect my everyday life. I was homeschooled growing up. And so I remember times where I'd be working on my homework and every time the home phone would ring, I would pause what I'm doing and I'd just listen for my mom's voice. Does she sound happy? Does she sound sad? Does she start to freak out? You know, what if this is my dad's work calling and saying that my dad died? And as soon as she sounded normal, I could start my school again. I remember times where right at five o'clock during the weekday, I would walk out of our front door and I would sit on this little electrical box that was in our front yard and I'd look down the street and I'd just wait for my dad's truck to turn the corner and there'd be this sense of relief knowing my dad's coming home today. 
And so it was, it was a fear that I had. And eventually I, I just went to my dad and I, I told my dad this fear that I had. I just said, I constantly live with this fear that you're gonna die. And he told me, he said, Josiah, you can't live based on what could possibly happen in the future. You have to live for today and you have to be thankful for what you have today. And thank God that after that, slowly the, this fear and this depression began to leave my life. But the thing is, is the fear that I had, it, it wasn't just about the sorrow that I would face if my dad died. It was also the fear of not knowing how I could possibly go on if he did. See, I didn't have a context for the type of grace that would be needed in that kind of struggle. I mean, as a 10, 11 year old, think of my context of grace at that time was that God was gonna help me in my homework. He was, God's gonna help me, give me enough grace to pass my test. God's gonna give me enough grace not to punch my brothers in the face when they do something that annoys me, right? This is my context of grace. I didn't have the context for the grace that would be required to live after the death of a parent. And so I would begin, what I was doing is I was filtering tomorrow's trials through the day or through um, the lens of today's grace. And here's what happened, is that grace couldn't measure up. And that's what happens when we do that. The grace that we have for today, it can't measure up to the trials that we face tomorrow. And it becomes overwhelming. And, and I've always had to be careful because I've always had this tendency to worry about the future. Anybody there with me? Your mind can start asking those what if questions, right? And I've always been so aware that my life can change drastically in an instant. It can be a car accident. It can be a miscarriage. It can be a spinal cord injury. It could be the, the death of a loved one. There's so many scenarios and situations that you can envision happening. And I know God doesn't owe me anything. It's not like God owes me a perfect life. Things can turn quickly. Life doesn't always end up the way that I would hope or that I would dream. But here's what it means for God's grace to be sufficient. And, and this promise is something that we can take hold of and we can live in the peace of God with this promise. Here's what it means for the grace of God to be sufficient. Let me give an illustration that might be helpful. Think of God's grace like an ocean buoy. So an ocean buoy, it's that anchor device that serves as a navigation marker in the waters, right? And the thing about this marker and the reason that it works is why? Because it floats, which means that it doesn't matter how high the water gets, right? It doesn't matter how tempestuous the waves get, the buoy will always rise above the waters. It's always one step ahead. And so when God says, my grace is sufficient for you, he's in essence saying it doesn't matter how deep or how high the waters of sorrow become, it doesn't matter how tempestuous the waves and trials of life becomes, the grace of God is always one step ahead. The grace of God is there for you in your time of need. You will rise above the waters. You will rise above it. Because at your moment of weakness, the power of Christ rests upon you and you are strong. Amen. Amen. See, you and I, you don't need to know how the grace of God will carry you in future events. You just need to believe that it will. You just need to believe that it will. Don't filter tomorrow's trials through the lens of today's grace. We can know through his promise that whatever comes, 
How, however hard it is, his grace is gonna be enough and I can simply live in the grace that he's provided me with today. So that's tendency number one, is the tendency to filter tomorrow's trials through the lens of today's grace. Tendency number two is this. We can tend to encapsulate our pain. So to encapsulate your pain is to live not just with the pain that you're experiencing today, right? It, but to imagine and fear for the impact of that pain on your future as well. So instead of just dealing with what I'm going through and the pain and the trial for today, we try to encapsulate the entirety of our situation, the entirety of our pain, and we try to swallow it all at once. But the thing is, is God doesn't give 20 years of grace in the span of a day. He gives it day by day by day. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 6, 34, where he said, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Each day has its own trouble. In Hebrews 4, 16, we read, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, our time of need, it's never future. It's always present. Amen. Our time of need is always present. God gives grace day by day. But we have this tendency to encapsulate the entirety of our struggle. Let me ask you this. What would happen if I ate in a way today to satisfy the hunger of the next 20 years? Some of us ate like that last night for the, entering into the New Year's. <laughs> but I would get sick to my stomach. What would happen if I slept in a way today to prepare me for the 100,000 hours I'm gonna be awake for the next 20 years? I would never get anything done. I'd become incapacitated. What would happen if I took Tylenol in a way today to cover the pain of 1,000 headaches over the next 20 years? I would overdose. So let me ask you this. What happens when I try to function today with the inevitable pain and the trial of the next 20 years. Here's what happened, is it crushes us. It's too much. It might be these health problems that I'm dealing with. How can I deal with this for the next 20 years? How can I wake up tomorrow morning and, and year after year with this pain that I have? I can't imagine living the rest of my life with this disease or this sickness, and so we pull the struggles of tomorrow into today. For some, it might be that newborn child that I'm raising. How am I gonna, get a, uh, how am I gonna survive another night without sleep? And I have a six-month-old, so I know what I'm talking about now. And so we pull the struggles of tomorrow into today. For some, it might be this depression that I'm dealing with. I can barely make it one day at a time. How could I possibly keep going for the next week, month, years? It's too much of a burden to keep doing this, and so we pull the struggles of tomorrow into today. It might be the pain and sorrow of the death of a loved one, and you think, here we are entering into a new year, how can I go another year without this person by my side? And so we pull the struggles of tomorrow into today, and we live with the fear and the anxiety and the overwhelming feelings of not just our pain and struggle for today, but for the next five, 10, 15, 20 years as well, and it crushes us. 
The famous Holocaust survivor, Corrie ten Boom, says it perfectly when she said this. She said, worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength, carrying two days at once. It's moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. That's what it means to encapsulate all of our pain. But here's the thing is, you and I, we don't have to deal with what we're dealing with for the next 20 years. We just have to deal with it for today. We just have to take it day by day. And I'm telling you, it's amazing the things that you can endure when you live one day at a time. One day at a time. Take the life of the Apostle Paul, for example, the one who wrote these words. He wasn't someone who had every, all the good in life he had his fair share of suffering and pain and trials, and he actually sums up some of those trials for the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11. I'm gonna read this, 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 27. Listen to some of the things that the Apostle Paul, the man who wrote half of the New Testament, the, the one who talks about this sufficient grace, the one who, who talks about the hope that we have in Jesus, listen to the things that he'd been through in his life. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea. Danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. These are some of the things that the Apostle Paul went through. Now imagine with me for a second that before dealing with these things, Paul was given a list of everything he'd go through in his life. Picture him reading this list of woes of all that's gonna happen to him in his life. Like us, he might say, I can't do this. This is too overwhelming. This is, this is too much. God, I can't get through this. This is way too much for one man to bear. But the reality is, is he didn't have to go through all that at once. And God was with him every step of the way. God was with him. God is with us when people lash out against you. God is with us on those nights that we can't sleep. God is with us in that moment that we're in extreme danger. God's with us in those moments where we feel like we can't possibly go on another day. But it's incredible that the Apostle Paul, once on the other side of the struggle, as Paul walked in the grace of God for today, he was able to look back at everything that he went through, all the persecution, all the trials, um, all the struggles that we read of in the span of a few sentences, and he was able to say, God's grace is sufficient. Amen. Amen? And we can say the same. We can say the same. So let me close with two quick practical points because I know you might be saying, okay, so God's grace is sufficient, but what can I do to make sure I'm abiding in that? How can I avoid some of these tendencies that we have? I wanna read from Philippians 4, six through seven. The Apostle Paul wrote this as well, and I believe that he gives us a couple answers that we can apply to our life today when it comes to walking in the grace of God. Philippians 4, verses six through seven. It says, do not be anxious about anything, 
but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. So two things that help us live in that grace for today. Number one, pray about everything. He tells us to pray about everything. Listen, God should be the first place that we go when we start to experience that anxiety or that worry or that struggle. Medication can be good, but that's not the first place that we go. Therapy can be great, but that's not the first place that we go. Google can be good and terrible, but that's not the first place that we go. Family and friends can be a great source of, of, of comfort for us, but they're not the first place that we go. God is the first place that we go with everything in our life. There's nothing that's too big or too small for him. And it doesn't even have to be a trial that you're going through. You might be walking into your next meeting for the day, but you say a little bit of prayer. It's the, the idea of prayer is it's reminding us, listen, God sees me. God loves me. God hears me. God is present with me every single second of the day. And praying about everything reminds us of that. So you pray about everything, and then second is this, pray with thanksgiving. Many of the worries and many of the anxieties that we can feel at times are rooted in a lack of trust of God. We might be saying, can God's grace really keep me in this? Can or is God really in control in all the chaos that I'm seeing in my life and around me? But the, the dictionary definition of thankful is this. It says, thankful is to be conscious of a benefit received to be conscious of a benefit received. So in Thanksgiving, you are making yourself consciously aware of the faithfulness and the promises of God for your life, which means that when you're exercising Thanksgiving, you're exercising trust. Thanksgiving is an exercise of trust and trust is the breeding ground for the peace of God in your hearts and in your mind. Don't get caught up in looking for the answers Thank God for his promises. Don't get caught up on the amount of grace you'll need for tomorrow. Thank God for his grace for today. Don't get caught up in the pain of the next 20 years. Thank him for being your ever-present help in trouble today. Pray about everything. Pray with thanksgiving and always remember God's grace is sufficient for me one day at a time. Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this incredible promise that you've given us. God, and I know at times it can be hard to live in the grace that you provided for us, God, but I just lift up everybody in this room. God, those that are joining us at the different campuses, those online, Lord, if, if life has been a struggle, if, if there's been so much worry and anxiety and depression, or the trials, whatever it is, God, I pray that we would step into this new year. Before we make any type of resolution, before the new disciplines, God, we can step into this new year and we can know that your grace is sufficient for everything that we go through and that we can live in it day by day by day. I thank you for the ministry that you provide in our life and that you're always there. You never leave us or forsake us. As your scriptures say, your mercies are new every morning. And we're gonna rejoice in that. And we're gonna be thankful for that. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.
Well, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you again next Sunday as Paul starts a new series called Take Back Your Life. And don't forget, if you're new to RCC and you wanna learn more about how you can help us achieve our mission of leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus, make plans to join us for Engage next Sunday. Have a great week and God bless.